Thank you, ladies. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 in your Bibles here tonight. Of course, tonight is a special service in the sense of a communion service, uh, where we just take the entire evening service and make uh, the Lord's uh, Supper, the Lord's Table, put, right, put it right at the heart of what we're doing here tonight. You know, the only ordinances that God gave to us, uh, primarily speaking, are the Lord's Supper and baptism. And, uh, and so I, the Lord's Supper we only partake of every five weeks or so. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us how often we should do it, just that we should do it. I know some churches do it every Wednesday, 52 Wednesdays out of the year. Um, I've heard of other churches doing it the first Sunday of every month, the last Sunday of every month. So who decides? Uh, Well, we're not going to have a church vote on it. I know that. But uh, I know this, we're supposed to do it. And uh, it's something that our Lord Jesus Christ commanded that we do. And so it's very important that we do it. So I want it right at the heart of of the service when we do it. I appreciated that song, ladies. Uh, Could you... They sang, more and more like you, and then do whatever you must do so that I can be more and more like you. Uh, That's quite a request. Um, Are you willing to say that? I was asking myself that question while you all were singing that. Uh, Am I willing? Do I... I mean, I know it's the right thing to say, but am I, at this, am I at the right place in my own heart, in my own life, that I would be willing to say that, God, you do whatever you need to do in my life so that I'll be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ? And re- remember, that's what, he wa- that's what he wants, doesn't it? Isn't, isn't it? He wants his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be seen through, through us. He doesn't need us to be seen. The world needs Christ to be seen through you, through you and through me, and I hope that's your prayer. You're in 1 John. I'm going to begin reading in, in verse 1 of chapter 1, and we'll get to chapter 2 in just a moment. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 1. John, the beloved of Christ, is penning down these words, the words of God. He says in verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled... Of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. And he's talking about the word. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And and John's saying to those people, those of us even to this day who read this passage, this epistle, he's saying, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. And I saw his work, and I saw his power. Verse 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, partnership with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. Our partnership is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And much of 1 John is about this idea of having fellowship with God. And God wants that for you and for me. He wants us to have fellowship with him. Uh, Sometimes we think of fellowship as merely getting together at a meal. Uh, Fellowship is a stronger word than that. It has the idea of of being a partner with someone else in something. Sometimes we have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ in his sufferings. 
sometime, we, we all as God's children ought to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ in victory over sin. Um, but God wants you and me to have fellowship with him, partnership with him. And John's writing about that, verse 4. He says, In these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Don't you love that? That's the kind of letter when you read that at the beginning, you say, I've got to read the whole thing. I want that. Verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, as the idea of a specific sin, um, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, a familiar verse to many of us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess means to agree with God about something. Has your wife or maybe your husband ever looked at you, as, has your spouse ever looked at you and said, you know, you did that on purpose and you said, no, I didn't? Or you did this and you said, no, I didn't? You, you didn't agree with your spouse? Have you ever been there? Okay, we all have. Um, you know, God wants, it's very important for you and for me to agree with God about our sin. And that's what he's getting after here at the end of chapter 1. Um, why, why should, before we move on, why when we look at verse number 9, why should God forgive us and cleanse us? On what basis? And the answer, of course, is in verse 9. He's, he'll forgive us because he's faithful and he's just, right? He'll cleanse us because he's faithful and he's just. You know that those two words are wonderful words for those of us who are saved who do sin because we know that God is faithful to forgive. And when we sin, and we all do, he's faithful to forgive and he's faithful to cleanse us. He's, he's just to do so. But you know that those two words, while they ought to be an encouragement to us when we do sin, that God will forgive and cleanse, do you know that those two words also ought to act as a preventative measure to keep us from sinning as well? Have you ever thought about that? Why should I choose not to sin? Why should I choose to obey the Spirit of God and the Word of God and not to wallow in sin in the first place? And the same two words could offer an incentive for us not to sin. And that is, why should we choose not to sin? Because God is faithful. Because God is just. You know, those words, they're wonderful words for those of us when we do sin, but they're also wonderful words to keep us from sinning in the first place. Uh, verse 10, he goes on, he says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so all of chapter 1 is about this fellowship and, and what to do when we sin because God, our Heavenly Father, saved us by his Son, by that blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the guilt and the penalty of sin. But more than that, or just as much as that, God, our Creator, wants to have fellowship with us. He wants, to, he wants us to be in partnership with Him 
for the same things that he wants to accomplish, for the things he wants to accomplish. Uh, What God wants is what I should want. What God is against, I should be against. What God hates, I should hate. And what God loves, I should love. And he wants us to be in a partnership with him. He wants that for tomorrow when you get up early and you get your breakfast and maybe a cup of coffee and then uh, you head off down the road on your commute. He wants, he wants to be in partnership with you. In your marriage, he wants to be in partnership with you. He wants that for you and for me. Now he comes to chapter 2, and he builds on this idea of fellowship. And I'll read beginning in verse 1 down through 11, and then we'll look at make just a couple uh, observations. It says in verse 1, My little children, that's an endearing term. John uses that nine times in this small epistle. My little children. These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. He's writing all of these things so that they will stop sinning. You know that sin breaks fellowship with God. I think one of the reasons that our Lord Jesus Christ instituted the the Lord's Supper is that we would be brought back into reality as to the cost of our sin. That the cost of our sin, a high cost, the death of God in human flesh. And the idea of forgiveness, God forgiving us through the, through the shed blood of his son Jesus Christ, it's not some flippant, careless thought that we just readily take advantage of along the way as we go through life, just living our lives carelessly, however in the world the wind blows and however society goes and wherever the world happens to be going. No, no, no. Yes, I've been saved and you've been saved. Many, if not most, in this auditorium have been born again, but we were bought with a price. And John, as he writes to these believers that he calls little children, and and they were fairly young in the faith, he says to them, I'm writing to you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation. The word means atonement or substitute, substitutionary sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only. I love this. But also for the sins of the whole world. Isn't that wonderful? If the Holy Spirit had led John to write down the words, for our sins only, then it would have been only for those believers, and you and I would have been left out. But I'm so glad that God chose to save us, and that Christ died for the sins, not just ours or these believers some 2,000 years ago, but for the sins of the entire world. Verse 3, and hereby we do know that we know him. How do we know that we know Christ? If we keep. Observe his commandments. He that saith, I know him, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he, Christ, walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, 
which ye have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, the new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. As we prepare our hearts to partake of the the Lord's Supper tonight, I ask you the question, are you walking in fellowship with God? Are you walking in fellowship with God? Are you in partnership with God? Or is there a part of your life, is there a closet in your heart that you've kind of shut off and barred off and you've continued with outward service that can be very pleasing to people and we can give you applause, but somewhere in your heart there's something, maybe some sort of temptation that's found root in your heart or in your life, and you begin to give it second thoughts, and it's turning into sin, and fellowship with God is being broken. Not your relationship, you're still his child, but fellowship, partnership, you're starting to look other places where you ought not look, or go places you ought not go in your mind. Is fellowship, is your fellowship with God? what it ought to be. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd expose and reveal. I invite you by your Holy Spirit and your word to, with the skill of the Holy Spirit, Father, would you expose and reveal sin in our hearts and our lives. I pray that we'd not come to the Lord's table tonight and partake of the Lord's Supper tonight with hearts that are flippant or careless about the incredible sacrifice that he made for our salvation. Father, help us to walk worthy of the vocation whereto we've been called. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Look again at chapter 2 and verse number 1. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Look there again, because John is dealing with sin in the lives of people people who profess to be saved. He says in verse 1 of chapter 2, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm, I'm so glad that Jesus Christ not only died to pay the price for our sin, but he also was raised from the dead. He sits on the right hand of the Father. And as an advocate, he advocates for us. He represents us. There's an interesting passage of Scripture, I believe it's in Zechariah chapter 3. In the first, I don't know, six verses or seven verses of Zechariah chapter 3. And there's a high priest in that passage by the name of Joshua. And in that passage, the high priest Joshua, not the same Joshua who conquered the promised land, but a high priest named Joshua, he stands before God. And he is a representative of the nation of Israel. And in Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua, this high priest, is robed and his, and his garments are tattered, tattered and worn. And, uh, and they represent the sinfulness of the nation of Israel. Satan is also in that narrative in Zechariah chapter 3. 
And Satan begins to accuse the nation of Israel and this man, this high priest Joshua, of their, their sinfulness and rebellion against God. And then Jesus Christ intercedes and he gives to Joshua, this high priest, as an illustration, I think, of New Testament truth, his righteousness and clothes him and robes this high priest Joshua in the righteous garments of God. And it's really a beautiful illustration of what God has done for you and for me. Uh, and, and, and John here, as he writes, he says, we have an advocate if we sin. Remember, if you're a child of God, you have an advocate, and that advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And you have his righteousness. How do we respond to that? Knowing our sinful flesh the way that we do. Knowing who we used to be before we were saved. Knowing how sometimes we think thoughts that are evil and say things that are equally evil. How do we respond to that Bible truth of salvation that tells us that even while I still bear this flesh, positionally in Christ, in Christ, I am robed in his righteousness. I have his righteousness. And it cost me nothing. And it cost him everything. And my only response to that, from the depths of my heart, is God... I love you, and I thank you, and I worship you. You have saved me. You have taken away my unrighteous, filthy rags, and you have replaced them with righteous, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is as, it is as our advocate that Jesus Christ makes intercession for us to this day. Look at verse 2. It says, and he, that is Jesus Christ, is the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. The price that was paid. You remember the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. Someone had to pay for our sin. And whether that was just telling a lie about did I take the cookie out of the cookie jar when I was a young boy or didn't I or... Did I, am I the one who tracked the mud in the laundry room, or was that Nathan or Heather? Who was it, you know? Can you remember some of those times, Mom and Dad, when uh, something would happen, and Mom and Dad, there were a couple of times, this doesn't happen often, but I remember a couple of times where Mom and Dad lined all of us up in the family room, and we all stood there, and they were trying to get to the truth. You know, could someone please tell the truth? You know what, children, tell your mommy and daddy the truth. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to sin. Your mommy and daddy, we know that. We know that. You know, our God, he knows we sin too as mommies and daddies. But you know what, you and I, can, we, can, we can do what God would want us to do. When we sin, let's tell him the truth. Tell your mommy and daddy the truth. And I can remember mom and dad trying to pull the truth out of us, you know, Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He is our atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. 
And that brings me to two thoughts this evening. First of all, the child of God that is having fellowship with God. The child of God who is a partner with God is a child that is keeping God's word. Are you a partner with God? Or are you in opposition to his plan? Remember James 4, God resisteth the proud. Why does he do that? Because the proud person is in opposition to God's plan. And God always does what is right. Do I always do what is right? Do you? Not always. Didn't mean to point at you, Brooklyn. I'll point at Braden. There we go. No, we don't always do what is right, but God always does what is right. And God resists the proud. He arrays himself for battle over and against the proud because sometimes, well, because the proud individual is always in opposition to God's plan. We might say our doctrinal statement may look great. You know what? We might have some good standards in our lives. But you know what? If, if, if it's in pride, really we're in opposition to God's plan. We really are. So are you in partnership with God? And the answer is, really a question, are you keeping his word? Look at, look at verse number three. He says, and hereby we do know that we know him. How do you know that you're saved? If we keep his commandments. The word keep means to observe or to be in obedience to God's commandments. You remember Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love me? Jesus could ask us tonight, do you love me? Are you keeping my commandments? Are you following my instruction, my love letter to you? Do you read it? It's hard to keep something we don't know, isn't it? I appreciate you all so much on a Sunday night being out. It rejoices my heart. Why? Because you're seeking God's word, that's why. You're seeking to obey God's word. Now, it's not, I know it's not because it's convenient. There might be some in this room, and it's, it's, it's a religious discipline of yours, and disciplines are a good thing, but maybe there might be some, it's, it's become a rut, and it's really a drudgery. And, but, but for most, I would say maybe all in this room here this evening, you come because you love God's Word, and you believe what it says, and you're seeking to know it so that you can keep it. And I love you for that. I appreciate you for that. Let that be a characteristic of Trinity Baptist Church. I talked to a young couple the other day, and we talked about, uh, I don't know, my, my desire for Trinity Baptist Church, and I talked about serving is so important, but growing in the Word of God is more needful. And loving one another comes out of growing in the Word of God and serving in a way that is pleasing to God comes out of loving one another. And they really do come. And if we get them out of order, we can be serving. We can, go through the, going, we can go through the motions of serving and doing things for God, but really we're doing them for the wrong reason. Maybe we're doing them in our pride, and we're actually in opposition. We're not in partnership with God. So obeying God's word, keeping his word, is ag- absolutely at the heart of whether or not we're even a child of God. An unsaved person has no desire to keep God's commandments, or even to know them. He doesn't believe in them. Why would he keep them? Verse 4, he continues, He that saith, I know him, I know God, I know the Lord Jesus Christ, and keepeth not his commandments. Who's not keeping his commandments is a liar. 
and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily, surely is the love of God accomplished, is perfected, it says in verse 5, hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Look again at verse number 5, the latter part. Um, We know that we are in him. How do we know that? Verse 5, the latter part. Hereby know that we are in him, if we're keeping his word. Um, Are you keeping God's word? Is there anything that God has given you clear instruction, he's revealed it to you through his word and by his Holy Spirit, and you're resisting him? Resisting God is not a mark of a child of God. It happens sometimes. It happens sometimes. But it's not a characteristic of a child of God, a loving child of God. No, we we know that we know him when when we're keeping his commandments. Look over at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, because this is something that God wants us to know. He wants us to know if we're saved or not. The Amish, as a general rule, uh, believe that it is sinful to say that you know that you're saved. Uh, they don't believe anybody can know that, and if any, for anybody to say that they do know that they're saved is actually stated out of a heart of pride. I don't know that all Amish believe that, but some do, many do. Uh, John, here in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, says, I've written these things so you'll know it. Look at verse 13. He says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And in that small verse, he talks about you were saved by believing on the name of the Son of God. And I want you to know that you are, that you have eternal life and so that you'll continue to live believing on the name of the Son of God. We're saved by the grace of God by believing on the name of the Son of God, what he's done for us. Well, that saves us from death and hell. It gives us salvation from death and hell. But, uh, in order to walk a life and live a life that's pleasing to God, to make right choices in life, we have to keep believing, believing in what God says. It's not that we need to be saved again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you're going to live a life victorious, a life that's pleasing to God, you've got to keep living a life of faith, taking God at his word. So we know that we are in him. Uh, consistent obedience to Christ is an indicator that we've received him as our personal Savior, and that's what he talks about there in verse 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The young person, and I really struggled with this as a young person, I really struggled with whether or not I was saved, and a lot of that had to do with the way I was not keeping God's commandments at times. And that makes sense, by the way. It's not that a person can lose their salvation by sinning, but it makes sense I look at my life, and it doesn't reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do I know that I'm a child of God? And that's where people get off track, and now they start asking, well, maybe I didn't really mean it. Well, who's going to make that determination? Uh, You might have been the only one there. Or you might go back to a pastor or your mom and say, Mom, did I cry hard enough when I prayed? That's not going to determine. Your mom doesn't get to choose whether or not you go to heaven or not. Um, we're saved by faith, childlike faith. 
And, and, and our lives ought to reflect, and our, by the way, our lives do reflect what we believe. They really do. They really do. Consistent disobedience to God is a clear indicator that, that a disobedient person has never received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Look at verse 4. He says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, he doesn't say, if you've ever sinned, you're not saved. What he's saying is the person who can sin and go on and sin and go on and sin and keep going and sin and keep going and sin and there's not any kind of conviction and there's no sense of, oh, I'm grieving the Spirit of God. I'm saying no to the Spirit of God and Jesus Christ died to save me from my sin and there's no grief or shame or remorse. God says if you can just keep going on and living in sin... You're not a child of God, and it doesn't matter if you've prayed a prayer or walked an aisle or been baptized. None of those things. We're not saved by works of righteousness. We're saved by the grace of God. So there ought to be consistent obedience in the life of a child of God, and consistent disobedience actually reveals that a person's not saved at all. And so let that be a comfort to you. Tonight, if you've struggled with whether or not that you're saved, um, really an unsaved person doesn't struggle too much with their sin. That's not a sign of an unsaved person, someone who struggles with uh, uh, sin, doing wrong things. That's not a sign of an unsaved person. Look at verse number five, the beginning part. Uh, He talks about the love of God, how it's perfected within us. Verse five, he says, but whoso keepeth his word in him... Verily is the love of God perfected. You know that when you and I keep saying yes to the word of God and yes to the spirit of God, do you know that the love of God is actually matured and it's perfected in us? I've, I've told you before about when Cindy and I were first married and it was, we were on our way to uh, New England on our honeymoon and that little, uh, the little 98 Grand Prix. And I looked over at her and I thought, wow, she's beautiful. And, uh, and I looked back over a few miles later. I guess, I don't know if we'd run out of things to say to each other by then or not, but we're driving along, and I looked back over a few miles later, and I thought, she's my wife. And I, we'd been through the whole ceremony and all those sort of things, but it just, I'm a little slow. It finally dawned on me, she's my wife. I'm her husband. And just about that time, a scripture passage that someone must have preached on because I hadn't read it, or maybe it was in counseling, premarital counseling, it, it, it struck me just about that moment, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And I didn't say anything out loud, but I can remember thinking, how, uh, what, do what, how do I love her? I love her, but how do I love her like Christ loves the church and gave himself for it? How many of you know that that's not in a man, naturally, the love of Christ? How many of you know that? You see, the more we keep the word of God, the more the love of God is perfected in us. In other words, I should do better today, after 16 years of marriage, at loving my wife like Christ loves the church, than I did that year, uh, whatever year it was, July 27th, 16 years ago. Are you following me? And it's only as we keep receiving the word that the love of God is perfected in us. Can I encourage you? Can I encourage you? Don't stop keeping. 
the commandments of God. Don't stop. Some of us in this room have been saved for 50 years. Some of us have only been saved a year or six months or something like that, three months. You haven't been saved very long at all. You and I, all of us in this room, need to keep the commandments of God, and we need to keep keeping them. We need to keep keeping them. It really is faith, faith that pleases God, that, that, that continues, that we continue to keep the word of God. It pleases God, and it's having an incredible, it's having an incredible effect on your life and on mine. Don't stop. Don't you stop. Um, secondly, I want to notice, and we'll be done, that the child of God is having, that is having fellowship with God loves one another. So the, so the child of God who's having partnership with God, um, well, he's keeping the word of God, but he's also loving one another. And, and, it, and it, they go together, as we just saw, that the more we keep God's word, his love is perfected in us. Look at verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him. You say, I'm abiding in Christ. He ought himself also so to walk, even as Christ walked. Jesus Christ walked. So if I'm going to be abiding in Christ, I'm going to walk. My walk's going to be similar to the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell me something about Jesus' walk. Somebody tell me something about Jesus' walk. He was humble. My walk ought to be humble. Something else. He was obedient. I ought to be obedient. Something else. He was consistent. He wasn't this way. (laughs) And we're that way sometimes. But the more we keep, the more consistent we'll become. Somebody else. He had compassion. He was a compassionate man. Truth was a part of it, right? He didn't compromise truth. But you have this beautiful, we could go on and on, right? We could go on and on and on and on. But he was selfless. And we talked about this this morning. There's the, I can walk in the spirit, walk in the light, or I can walk in the flesh. And this one's decrepit and ugly and repulsive. And this one is beautiful and miraculous. This one's the wide path. We could all do that. We don't even have to hardly engage our brains. Just go on out and live. We can, we can all do that. An unsaved person can do that, but this, this is going to require me having God in his rightful place in my life and taking him at his word and keep taking him at his word and saying yes to the Spirit of God and getting back up when I've sinned, like 1 John 1, 9, and confessing, agreeing with God about my sin. And by the way, when we confess our sin, let's agree with him. That's the only way to confess. And I know I'm going backwards here in the text, but uh, I can remember some years ago I was, I was counseling at a camp in Pennsylvania, and uh, a young fellow, one of my campers came, he said, uh, Seth, I really, am, he was convicted about something. He said, I feel like I need to get right with God about something. And I said, okay, well, I read 1 John 1, 9, and let's pray together. And, and so we began to pray, and it was something like, God, we've sinned against you. And, and I wanted to say, Speak for yourself. I mean, I'm here with you, but no, no, I'm not saying that I hadn't sinned, but you're the one who was convicted. You talk about yourself. We've sinned. We could all say that. That's pretty generic. And I'm not picking on them, and I haven't given any names. But you know what I'm saying? We, we do that sometimes. Don't do that. 
If you've lied, tell them you've lied. Tell them you've lied. If you're arrogant and you're proud, if you're a proud man, tell God you're a proud, arrogant man. If you're conceited and self-centered, tell him. That's what 1 John 1.9 says. Confess him. Confess it. Agree with him. In other words, call it what it is. So we're not to live in sin. We're to love one another. We're to love one another. Look at verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. And that this commandment, by the way, he's talking about is love one another. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. You can look over to chapter 3 and verse 11. He says it there. For this is the message which ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. You see it there? And it's, the, it's that Greek word you're all so familiar with. Uh, comes from the agape. It's a verb there. Verse 8, he says, again, a new commandment. I write unto you which thing is true in him, he's talking about Christ, and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. And it's new in this sense. Uh, It's new in the sense that it was new in that it was manifested, this love of God was manifested, this love for the brethren was manifested through Christ. It was new in that sense, but it was also new in this sense that not only was it manifested through Jesus Christ, it was an old commandment, but it was new in this sense that God wants this love for one another to be seen through you. Because you're filled with the Spirit of God. Christ is living in you, and He's living through you, and He's loving through you to one another. It's new. It's new in that sense. In other words, you've never seen it like this before. It's always been the commandment. Love one another, for love is of God. That's not new. But Jesus Christ loving his children through you and through me is new. It was new for those believers. I think about this. The child of God that is having partnership with God loves one another. Does the Lord Jesus Christ love you? Yes, he does. That, 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 that's an easy answer, isn't it? Uh, does he love the person that's sitting next to you? Yes, he does. Should not, then, if I am in partnership and in agreement and in fellowship with God, who loves the person sitting next to me, should I not have a love for them that cannot be extinguished? That's what he's saying. You see, if we're going to be in partnership with God, in fellowship with God, we're going to have to love one another. Look at again verse 9. Because as we love one another, we abide in the light. Verse 9, he says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. You can't do it. You can't hate one another. Hatred is not of God. He hates sin. He doesn't hate. He doesn't hate. He doesn't hate people. He loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son. That was for lost sinners. He doesn't hate his children. You know, hatred can easily turn into bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. If you've been wronged, if someone's wronged you, you can be hurt so deeply 
And I've been transparent enough with you in the past to tell you that there have been some things that have happened in my life. And, and the, the challenge is, okay, so many years ago, years ago, I forgave. And years later, in a moment of walking in the flesh, I'm starting to resent that individual. That's the flesh. You're not walking in the light, Seth Ferguson. You're not walking in the light because you can't walk in the light without loving that person. You're walking in darkness. Now, some of us are easy, quick to forgive. You know, we just have short memories. And some of us don't have short memories. Some of you, you could be like the uh, attorney general. You know, he'd probably get a lot done if you were on his staff. You, you keep a record. You keep a log with details and motives that were never said. You and I, as God's children, if we're going to have fellowship with God, if we're partners with God in this, we're going to have to walk in the light and we're going to walk in love. We're going to love one another. And that's the end of the story. You know, what is it in Matthew 18? Peter asks Jesus, he says, How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And Peter says, Till seven times. Seven? That's a lot. Seven times? And Christ says no until 70 times seven. 490 times. And then he gives an illustration of a man who's been forgiven of a tremendous debt and goes out and grabs another man by the throat and forces him into the prison of resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. If you've been hurt some by somebody, you need to walk in the light. You need to be a partner with God. You need to forgive them. Maybe you're in this room here tonight, and it's not that someone else has hurt you. I'm sure that's happened at some point in your life. But maybe this evening you're convicted, and you ought to be because you've hurt somebody else. And maybe you don't think you have. Maybe truly you're over it, but you know there's a person who's not over it. And you've hurt them. And it's earlier in Matthew, but the Lord on the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount, he says, you need to leave your gift at the altar. So don't pretend you're worshiping God. If you've hurt somebody, you've wronged him, you need to go to that person, you need to make it right. Now, please don't go to the person and tell them that you've been so bitter at them for all these years and they were, you're really upset with them. And, no, that's not the point. You go to them if, you, if they think you've wronged them. Go to that person if, if they think you've wronged them and you make it right. And, and again, I, I challenge you and I encourage you, I plead with you tonight. Go with the heart of 1 John 1, 9 and agree with God about what you've done. If you said something that was wrong, you go to your spouse and you say, listen, what I said was wrong. How I said it was wrong. I've told you before about my father. When I'm the oldest of four children, there were times when my dad would say, Seth, would you forgive me? I've never done this before. You're the first one. You can mend some fences. You can restore some relationships. You can be reconciled with some fellow believers who you've been estranged with for some time for different reasons. And I want you to know something. You need to do it. You need to walk in love.
You need to walk in the light. Are you a partner with God or aren't you? Is really what it comes down to. Look at verse number 11 and we'll be done. He says in verse 11, But he that hateth his brother... or for, Look at verse 10 first. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. The word, uh, words uh, occasion of stumbling come from our Greek word scandalon. Scandal. We get our, Greek, our English word from that. The person who's loving his brothers and sisters in Christ, it doesn't cause his brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble. And by the way, if we have done that, there's forgiveness with God. There's a future ahead, okay? Verse, verse 11, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness. And what does that look like? And knoweth not whither he goeth. Now, I think this guy thinks he knows where he's going, but he doesn't. Because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Wouldn't that, isn't that sad? Mr. Wirtz, when we were up north in the Upper Peninsula hunting, and we had to go out to use the restroom in the middle of the night, it was dark. It was dark. And uh, if you didn't have a flashlight, it was impossible, okay? And you just kind of stumble around, full-grown men with two eyeballs and ears to hear and what we thought was, you know, ability to hunt wild animals. And we're out there in the middle of the night. We can't see a thing. It's dark. It, It makes a person who's pretty well put together look pretty foolish. You know, that's how God sees you and me when we're walking in the darkness of hatred instead of walking in the light of God's love. God loves us, and he wants to love through us one another, and he wants us to be his partners in this. Take your hymnals, if you would. Hymn number 334, hymn number 334, we're going to sing, Break Thou the Bread of Life, and as we sing this hymn, let's allow God, I hope our hearts have been prepared, but you be saying yes to the Spirit of God where he leads, okay? And, And let's... Let's make this what it ought to be before the Lord. Hymn number 334. Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me. As thou didst break the loaves beside the sea. Beyond the sacred page, I seek Thee, Lord. My spirit pants for Thee, O living Word. Bless Thou the truth, dear Lord, to me, to me. As Thou didst bless the bread, my Galilee, then shall all bondage cease, all fetters fall, and I shall find my peace, my all in. Let's all stand as the men come for on the last verse. Oh, send thy spirit, Lord. Now unto me, that he may touch mine eyes and make me 
seal. Show me the truth concealed within thy word, and in thy book revealed I see thee, Lord. Thank you. Please be seated. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time tonight to reflect on what you've done for us. Thank you for sending your son, um, that his body was broken and bruised, uh, to pay the penalty, Lord, to be the substitute for our sin. I uh, pray that you'd help us to reflect on that tonight and that we would draw closer to you and that this would honor and glorify you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul recounts what God had taught him about what had happened in the upper room. Of course, Paul would not have been there at that point. He was not a saved man. But Lord Jesus, with his disciples, said this in verse 24, And when he had given thanks, he broke it, speaking of the bread, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. We do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ and his broken body for us. Mr. Rob Baholsky, would you please uh, give thanks to God for the blood of Christ that was shed for us, without which there would be no uh, forgiveness of sin. Heavenly Father, we recognize that it's by Christ's blood alone that uh, we can have forgiveness of sin in eternity with you. I pray as we partake of this juice today that we keep in mind the sacrifice that Christ made, the gift that you gave in your Son. Lord, that uh, there's nothing we can do in of ourselves to earn this. But Lord, uh, accepting you and being submissive and obedient as Christ was, we pray that you would uh, work on our hearts and allow us to live a life that is reflective of this remembrance and that we are your children and that uh, we have an opportunity uh, to share the light of the gospel with others as we have accepted Lord, I pray that this evening you give us that desire in our heart as well as the ability to uh, to use this time uh, to reflect upon it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
In verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul tells us something that should be a great encouragement to every one of us. You know, when we partake of the, the unleavened bread, it represents the broken body of Christ, his suffering. Uh, the grape juice, the wine, represents his blood that, by which we are forgiven of our sins. And in verse 26, he says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Now, we know that he's not dead. We know that he lives. But so that we would not forget it, and to be a testimony that we believe it, we partake of this to show that Jesus Christ did die, suffered for our salvation verse 25, he says, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament, that's the new covenant, in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me, in remembrance of him. Let's take our hymnals. We'll close with a hymn. Hymn number 540. Oh, that's the wrong one. Hymn number 107. 107. Let's all stand to our feet. Pastor Thomas Toman, close this with a word uh, with a, a hymn, please. <laughs> all right, number 107. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the sons of God, that we should be called the... Let's sing that again. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you Wednesday evening, Lord willing.